0: You're listening to the New Century Multiverse Steamheart Chapter 24 Break fast Raven It is
1: yesterday I am at the table with Nady. We're reading together and planning a trip to the newly established city of Fargo. I do not recall what is said, but she makes me laugh so hard I get a pain in my side. It is worth the discomfort. I'm awake, and the curtains are open. The light is battering my eyes. Vomit covers my shoulder and my arm. The world beats down and spirals around me. I pulled the third bottle up to my lips, and there is still whiskey inside.
2: Harry. I'm looking over her body right now, and my heart is pounding. Abigail lies naked beside me, the sheets curled around us. I can barely believe I'm here. I've thought of this for so long, and now, now I somehow made it happen. In many ways, it's like bringing an invention from my head into physical, working order only now I'm scared of what to say to my invention she stirs and her eye opens and looks at me and that smile spreads across her face she murmurs hey you then uneasiness settles on her what is it I ask afraid of the answer oh god my head and she's sitting up and holding her temples. L- Listen, Abby, you don't have to. Uh, uh, need a bath. Or another shower, at least. She gets up and paces around, still naked, picking up her clothes and dumping them on a chair. Then retrieves a towel from the dresser. I don't blame her for wanting a shower. It's not as good as the ones I built back in Langley, but it's a lot prettier. And getting warm, heated water out of it was a joy. We could shower together, I venture. She pauses, her back to me, and breathes for a moment. Then drops the towel and returns to the bed. You know what? She says. I'd really like that. She leans forward and kisses me. I start to feel less afraid.
3: Rebecca. As the fingers of dawn played through the shutters and across his face, James stirred. I'd been watching him for a while, his sleeping face pensive and serious those sculpted eyebrows twitching, and that kissable mouth forming the beginnings of words. I wanted to stay with him. Right there I felt a sincere, urgent imperative to be by his side and continue the journey with all of them, hang my official position. I was dispatched from Washington by Sarah Arlington on an entirely unrelated mission, which I had closed out in adequate fashion, but my next marching orders came from truth. I was still reeling from Sarah's death at the time, and wanted to return to the District of Columbia to pay my respects at her grave, but truth sent me here, and as I lay caressing the doctor's chest, I thanked that disagreeable woman for diverting my path. We made love four times throughout the night. Following the swiftness of his first performance, he continued with a diligence and attention which I found intoxicating and gratifying. We fit together. My mind drifted back to midnight as Sergeant Gray had glimpsed me through the doorway, her face the picture of wounded betrayal. Over the course of James telling me about their misadventures, I had developed a respect for this rude, violent and coarse woman. She had displayed courage under literal fire and saved his life. But I had asked, in all honesty, what romance lay between them and he had told me that what once existed was buried under years of complications. Nonetheless, I felt wretched on her behalf. In considering my past experiences with love, I knew where the feeling derived. Was I doomed to repeat this? Must I say goodbye so soon?
4: I was down at 7 to start breakfast well before everyone else. It's absolutely my favorite meal of the day, and the selection of the cupboards was extravagant. The safe house was designed to sustain presidents, or the Arlington's themselves, though they never visited, so Rebecca had access to plenty of funds to feed us with, and I was impressed by her choices. I found a certain type of pan and felt a burst of glee. I rooted out the flour, butter, baking powder, eggs, and sugar, but the crowning glory was what I found in the fruit basket, a ripe waxed lemon. I don't know how Rebecca found one of these in Memphis, but I held that thing aloft like it was a sacred relic. I set to work with one of the recipes that Donald first impressed me with. The measurements were etched into my brain because I helped him make them for weeks after the first time, all with dried lemon rind. I was actually shaking with excitement of being able to use the fresh zest. It was an absurd situation, and I wished he was there to call me a nincompoop for doing so. Within twenty minutes, the smell of fresh-baking French madeleines was wafting through the halls of the house as coffee beans roasted. I could hear people upstairs stirring, and it made me smile. Annie was the first to come downstairs. She had newly cleaned clothes on and sat at the breakfast bar, blinking in the morning light. I slid a saucer towards her and nudged one of the cakes onto it from the pan. Mm. She took a little bite and then slowly inhaled its aroma. The look on her face, tranquil and ecstatic. Pretty good, huh?
2: Mmm. Oh, God.
4: She nodded slowly and took another bite.
2: You're going to be making me these a lot.
4: I do have an ulterior motive for bribing you with baked goods, though.
2: Oh, yes?
4: This wind door we're going to today.
2: You want to get close? So much. <clears throat> Alright. You do as I tell you. You stay back from touching it or trying to get through. And I'll let you inspect as much as you need. Provided everything feels safe enough to me. Oh,
4: thank you. I could feel myself getting a little overwhelmed at the idea.
2: It's what you're... <clears throat> I'm sorry. A little bit of cake stuck in my throat. It's what you're here for, Jeremy. To document and hopefully better understand mm, what we're dealing with.
4: I know. It's just great to finally start in on what I've wanted to do all this time. Butler.
5: Breakfast was a sumptuous and drawn-out affair this morning. All of us but Pines and I seemed to the worse for wear. This lasted up to the point where Abigail and Harry entered. Our room was only two doors down from theirs, but what we heard last night in the small hours left little to the imagination. I found it amusing and kind of sweet, but Annie seemed tense and had clearly spotted this developing in the hours leading up. She bunched Matilda up around her ears to block out the sounds of unbridled enthusiasm as they floated through the house. As the two ladies sat down in front of James and Rebecca and a series of increasingly pointed looks were exchanged, a disquiet settled. I asked Pines to regale us with a recipe for how he got his Johnny Cakes so very tasty, and Annie stood, beckoning Abigail to come out to the hallway with her. I followed soon after as I could tell a storm was brewing. Far from opening up the floodgates, Annie was searching for words while Abigail stood defiantly, arms folded. My wife apparently trying to put a finger on what was most troubling.
2: Don't hurt her.
5: Was what she eventually settled on.
2: That's the last thing I want. That girl is not used to this kind of thing. I know, but
3: she's an adult, and this is part of that.
2: I need Harry at her best. I need both of you with your heads in the game. Why didn't you just do what you said you would and screw half the professionals at the Diamond Bell last night? If you had, you might have gotten this out of your system. And
3: and you wouldn't have... Have been jealous of James hopping into the sack with a complete stranger? That's what you were going to say, wasn't it?
5: Annie reacted strongly to this, clapping her hands over her face.
3: God. Abigail,
2: I don't know. What dance you two are engaged in or who loves whom and why you won't talk about it or all that shit what i see is that you are actually getting good at using that endowment and james isn't he has nothing to go by and it's driving him crazy so maybe just cut him a little bit of slack Stop seeing everything as though it either fully embraces you or rejects you. Convince me you're an adult. Now, I'm sorry that this city bugs you so much. We're pulling out today. You can leave it behind. You really did achieve something last night. I feel like you rose above your compulsion. And made a mature decision. But then you fell right back down again when you saw him with someone else. And you grabbed the closest person to you. Now you are capable of inflicting enormous pain if you're not careful. What I'm asking you to do is to be gentle. And kind. And responsible. Take yourself out of the equation. Of course I'm going to do that. What kind of bastard do you take me for, Oakley? The kind that's hurting. And hurts others in its pain.
5: We're here to back you up, Abby. We trust you more than you think we do.
2: You know what? I have a breakfast to eat. What are you
3: going to tell her?
5: Abby fixed us with a hard stare.
3: The truth. That I think she's amazing and I'd like to spend more time with her.
5: And with that, she opened the door and rejoined breakfast. Annie threw up her hands.
2: Well, perfect.
5: I drew her close to me and spoke softly. She spent her teenage years and her early twenties being told she couldn't be close to the one person she loved. Let's just leave them be. Let it all shake out naturally.
2: My worry is that they will get into a situation where they can't be around one another. We can't lose either of them. But if it looks like we're going to lose Abigail for real.
5: She let this possibility hang, but I glanced at her trembling fingers down by her gun belt. We'll negotiate. It's what we do best.
2: Second best.
0: James. The only person not present at breakfast was Raven. After a long wait and a no-show, I left the table, marched upstairs, and knocked upon his door. There was a groan from the other side. Are you ill, sir? I inquired from the corridor. A bellow came from within. Get the fuck out of here! I angrily forced the door open, shifting the weight of the man leaning against it. Raven was in a state of complete disarray. The room reeked of vomit, which had pooled and congealed upon the floor and furniture. He had also either stepped in a great deal of something on the way home, or else shat himself. What the hell do you think you're playing at? I demanded angrily. He rolled his eyes and retreated across the room in an awkwardly exaggerated fashion, as though sneaking around an invisible termite mound.
1: No more of that talk,
0: you fucking quack.
1: He barked. Keep your leeches away from me. I'm in the middle of a night of self-reflection. It is of vital importance that I not be disturbed. It's nine in the morning. A night that will go on as long as it has to.
0: I crossed to the window and opened it wide to let out the air. What brought this on? I asked the Breeze. He did not respond. I was now so tired of this routine. You went with Abigail to a brothel last night and started drinking.
1: And I had a fabulous time with one of the girls there. Ruby. She did literally everything that was asked. You should try her, you stuck-up limey shyster. Maybe blow that wad you've been storing up your entire life.
0: All right, you're done, I said coldly. "'Raven, we are proceeding to the nearby wind door in a few hours, "'and I can't see you being in a fit state to attend. "'I have my orders from Thomas Arlington himself, "'and they are to leave you behind if you become a liability, "'and right here and now, that is all you are.' "'He saluted me mockingly.
1: "'Absolutely, you rotten little thug. "'I never want to question the hallowed director. "'May he rest in fucking peace. "'Or whatever delusional zealot he sent to do his bidding. "'Follow to the letter.' You'd best leave this liability in the dirt behind you as you stomp a new path for the white man across my land.
0: He fell silent and I stepped back towards the door. I paused and looked down at him as he stared into his bottle, then followed his eyeline to the ring on his left hand. There was a leather cord hanging from it, and I realized it has been around his neck the whole time we've been on this journey. Where is she? I asked, gravely, quietly. His response was uncharacteristically soft. A cemetery in the Dakota Territory.
1: What happened? A stagecoach in
0: Fargo crushed her skull. And that was that? He looked up at me, a deep, mournful pain in his eyes. the driver didn't even stop. No law
1: against killing engines. He had performed a public service. He could never know... ...the measure of gentle wisdom and humor... ...in that flame he snuffed out. And because he saw her as less than human... ...the world would never know her as anything else. And last night...
0: I betrayed her. There was a long pause. I could neither contradict his assertion nor in any way soothe his breaking heart. You know full well that I don't want to leave you behind because you're of Indian extraction. I want to leave you behind because you don't seem like you're up to the task of what we're facing. I don't want to force you through it. Did Arlington tell you to confiscate my work? I nodded. So he pointed me towards the dresser, upon which lay a black leather journal. "'Take it along with
1: you, then,'
0: Raven muttered, and placed the stopper back in the whiskey bottle. I leafed through the pages and found them filled with elegantly worded observations of our journey. Lengthy essays on the morality of reunifying a nation founded on independence. Pencil sketches of everyone aboard and those we had met." I looked down at this damaged man, his story lost to the world, whilst my hands clutched at the beginnings of a new one. I'm... I'm going to need this book completed. And I'm going to go and brew you some coffee, take a bath, and we'll be ready to go off to lunch. What makes you think I even want to come with you? I turned and gave a dry grin. "'History is unfolding with every mile we travel. "'I know enough about you to be certain you want to be at the edge of it.'
1: (sighs) "'Go get me that coffee,'
0: he snapped.
1: "'And bacon and toast, you scum-sucking lizard. I've got work to do. I need fuel.'
0: been listening to episode 24 of Steamheart Breakfast written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley and Harriet Arlington performed by Loretta Saylor. Abigail Gray and Agent Wolf performed by Sharon Shaw. James Penrose and Raven performed by Alex Shaw. Jeremy Pines performed by Matt Wardle. Frank Butler performed by Spencer Lee. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Annie Oakley Sonata, composed and performed especially for Steamheart by Gil Haim Steinberg. Thunderbird, Cottages, Parting of Ways, Ashton Manor, Industrious Ferret, Drums of the Deep, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Tim Razinski, Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, James Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Junkius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Le Kieran Dachler, and Lorraine Chisham. The city of Fargo had originally been called Centralia. While Nadie was buried in a cemetery, she was of the great Sioux nation, which meant that in accordance with her people's customs, Raven built a scaffold, eight feet high, that bore her body aloft. After just four days, her spirit had departed her body, bound for its new plane of existence, but her remains were kept in place for a year to honor her old life. She was wearing her best clothes, and her possessions were sewn into an animal hide bag with her. Raven would spend long nights in his backyard, writing ceaselessly by lantern light, a pistol by his side, in case thieves came by to desecrate her place of rest. By the time Nady's vessel on Earth was finally in the ground, the Wendigo had begun to venture into America and the world.